Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, everyone. Today will be fun. (laughs) I feel like we need like some special music for like on SNL when they do the weekend update. It's like, this is our COVID-19 update. I know. (laughs) Just so that people could either skip it or in future, future times or just to kind of give COVID-19 more of our attention with a cute theme song. (laughs) I feel like we talk about it all the time. No, but today, um, seriously, we obviously a lot of changes happened really early on. And Amanda and I wanted to experience this COVID-19 situation as best as we could. So that is why we had done a mini update, but we really hadn't gone into the meat and potatoes of what was actually happening in California. And then on the broader scale of what was happening federally, because the law is sometimes slow to change. And of course, our experiences and our conversations to you are only as good as what we experience. So hopefully that kind of sheds some light on things that we'll get into today. Yeah. And also the last time we kind of did a little bit of an update, Congress was just in the process of putting together the CARES Act which is like the stimulus package, you may have gotten a stimulus, you know, check or, you know, your business is applying for, you know, the payroll protection loan, all of that came from the CARES Act. But one of the things that we were worried about with the CARES Act, and we kind of touched on it before, was some congressmen trying to request waivers of IDEA rights. And of course, the last time we spoke, everything was kind of up in the air. There were a lot of rumors about what was or wasn't going to be in the law. Um, So now that the CARES Act has actually been approved and passed, we have a little bit more information about what it actually says. And then also we have more information about what it actually means. And so we wanted to really be able to get as much of this guidance as possible to be able to share it with you and give you all an educated update. So we're going to kind of go through what is happening right now, what you can do to help protect IDEA rights. And then we'll go into like more practical matters of like what's happening with COVID-19 and distance learning kind of on the ground. Absolutely. So with the federal waivers, obviously, there's bigger fish, I think, that they need to fry. So there hasn't really been much movement on that aspect, right, Amanda? No. So basically what the CARES Act did was it includes a provision that directs Secretary of Education DeVos to report back to Congress within 30 days if there are any waivers needed under the IDEA or the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, Section 504. The bill gives the Secretary broad waiver authority over the Higher Education Act and ESEA, Elementary Secondary Education Act. However, even though people are worried because they're like, oh, she's broad discretion, she only cares about private school, it specifically notes that only Congress can actually waive IDEA and 504 provisions. So at this point in time, there have been no waivers. There have been nothing in terms of changes to your rights. So 
IDEA 504 rights and protections as it stood before COVID-19 all still stand. On a which, federal level. On the federal On level. the federal level, yes. Which, while certain states have taken action, either like California, to go further with protections, or other states where their governors haven't said anything, federal law does supersede. So when it comes to your IDEA rights and your 504 rights, Everything still stands right now. As of today that we're recording this, April 20th, 2020, everything still stands. So your ability to request IEP meetings, your ability to receive a fate for your child, all of that still stands. Now, there are some caveats, of course, because with COVID-19, what the school districts are actually required to provide, there are some differences. So we talked before about I think we've touched on this in the last pod, but California did issue an order that clarified some timelines, but the substantive rights of IDEA are all still intact. It was more timelines that the California Education Code put forward. So you want to make sure to check your state education code, whether or not your governor has issued any changes or orders on that end. But with regards to federal protections, IDEA and 504, no waivers have been made. So Here's where we are now. We're within this time frame where DeVos is supposedly receiving information from each of the state governors about how they want to act. So are they going to be like Governor Newsom in California and say, we will not be requesting any waivers? Or are they going to go to DeVos and say, you know what, we're seeing that things are being difficult, we would like to request some waivers. So, like I said, nothing has happened quite yet. However, it is important for us to note that we want to make sure that nothing does happen. So where our kind of call to action for today is, is that it is up to the states to then request these waivers. So yes, you want to call your congressional representatives and make sure to make it known that you want to protect these rights. But it's equally as important to contact your state governors and your state representatives because it is them who will be either requesting these waivers or not requesting these waivers. So we want to make sure that they know that we want to say, we want these rights to be protected, do not seek waivers. And so we've posted on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, sample letters. There's um, petitions that are out there that you can sign on to. One of them specifically is saveidea.org, where there's an open letter to the U.S. Department of Ed that you can sign on for. You can sign up not only for the petition, but you can also sign up to get more information, get alerts and whatnot if there are any changes. So that's going to be an important thing that you can get involved with doing. They have sample letters online as well for, you know, sending either an email or a letter or calling your local representatives to make sure that they know that, like, this is something that is worth protecting. But just know that, like, this is where we are right now. Again, there's a lot of rumors going around. There's a lot of information being put out there. This is where we are right now. Nothing has, no action on waivers has been taken by Congress other than this one provision. Right. I haven't seen a lot of districts explain that accurately or maybe even, I mean, there's just so much going on. I can imagine that it's difficult, but I think that a lot of them have made blanket statements and letters and uh-huh. make it seem as if they don't really have to do anything during this time. And that's not 
accurate whatsoever. You know, there are some provisions that, you know, California through Senate Bill number 117 that passed um, in April, I believe. And I mean, you know, and things include like for our English language learners, there's an extension of 45 days for those assessments unless otherwise determined by the superintendent. And it's one of those things where, yeah, of course, like we understand that there's certain things that can't necessarily be done during this time. The development of assessment plans and getting the timeline of the 60 days started once a parent signs the assessment plans, you know, at this time in California is waived to an extent that the federal law still applies and the federal law is a bit more vague in that it's a reasonableness test. So obviously it would be reasonable if you were to make that request now or right before the school shutdowns that they would need to continue that assessment plan and timeline as soon as schools were reopened. So we're some of the first people to try to be as collaborative as possible. But I think that Amanda and I hit a wall when people are misinterpreting the law and the governor's initiatives and the superintendent that he's assigned to the matter. There's so many resources out there. And I think that is why I'm in and I waited to do this podcast because yes, certain things are going to be different. We understand that. We're not in any way saying that you should be assessing and you should be you know, doing this or the other thing, but we really wanted to see how these districts were going to be responding. And we've had, each of us have attended IEP meetings virtually either my first one telephonically, like everyone will be on the phone will be tomorrow. But the ones that I've done before were all virtual. You know, it's not the best, but at least you can kind of still see everyone. I think that everybody, you know, is taking the time to hold the IP meeting, which is great. I feel like everybody's attention was kind of really focused, which I can't say always happens in person. But you know, from our standpoint, you as parents can still request IP meetings, you can still be able to discuss like, hey, you know, we haven't been getting speech and language. How is that going to be provided? You know, if we're not getting SAI time, you know, the teacher's just kind of saying like, well, here's a Google Classroom, come ask me questions. You know, that may not be appropriate based on what your child's IEP says, and there should be something more. Maybe it's not going to be that hour and a half of SAI time that your child gets every day, but maybe it's 20 minutes every day with that SAI teacher. I think it's about being as accommodating during this time for sure, but not just simply, you know, glazing it over and saying we'll deal with it in the fall, which is what Amanda and I have seen. Well, and even just the act of of having an IEP meeting, I know that I have received some pushback from some schools that have said like, oh, well, we're not sure if we can do IEP meetings. That's not an appropriate answer whatsoever because the right to have an IEP meeting not only still exists, But I would argue is even more important than ever because we are going through a time now school districts have had several weeks now of figuring out how their distance learning is going to work and starting to work it out. So students have now had a couple of weeks where they've been going on their Zoom meetings or maybe they haven't had access to it or they have been doing one-on-one sessions, or they're doing their packets if the families had to go and pick up or print out packets, right? So we've gone through the process of the trial and error on how is this working. So right now is the time where the IEP team needs to be coming together to talk about what is working and what isn't, especially for the students who physically or for other reasons cannot access 
a computer. Right. So the California Department of Education has given some guidance out on that. Look, not every single child with an IEP is going to need to have an IEP just to discuss that distant learning is happening. They're taking a very reasonable approach. I think where Amanda's going, because I know the example that she's going to give, is that if distant learning, if that child cannot access it, or for any other reason, you're having some problems with it, then absolutely an IEP meeting should happen. And, you know, this is new guidance that was posted at the beginning of April, April 9th with the California Department of Education. So it's very specific to California. And we apologize to our other state people, but at least you can kind of hear to see, hey, how's California doing things? How's California handling things? So, you know, Amanda and I realized that maybe for some of our clients, you know, we're going to have that IEP at the beginning of the school year or when schools open, but there's going to be some kiddos right now that are going to be needing those IEPs because I think we've given it a pretty decent try. It's been about a month and change. And so now we have real kind of, I don't want to say evidence, but real kind of facts of this new reality that the IEP team may need to know in order to like change things. Yeah. It's not just hypothetical anymore. So what we're seeing right now is kind of two different camps of students that you may need to approach it in different ways. But we're wanting to make sure that we're not only protecting your rights right now, but we want to make sure that come the fall, come August, September, when when we do return, hopefully, back to physical campuses, that we're putting ourselves on the right foot to start the school year. So the first camp of students that we're seeing are the students who are having difficulty accessing any instruction. Now, that may be because the district is just not providing anything. Maybe they've come in the camp of we don't have to or here's a packet, you know, one size fits all type thing. Maybe they're the students who don't have a computer, don't have Internet. Maybe it's a student who's an English language learner and they're having difficulties or Maybe they're having difficulty accessing because of their disability. So a student who has fine motor difficulties, a student who has communication difficulties, a student who is unable to physically access the technology, those students we're seeing are not able to access anything. We have some schools that are providing only pencil paper tasks and our students who need the computer are not getting access. And then there's the students that are only receiving technology access, but they need the pencil paper test. So for those students, it's immediately necessary to hold an IEP meeting because we need to be figuring out are there alternatives. And unfortunately, some of these schools are not being as innovative as they can be until you really trigger them to be innovative, right? So they've created this one-size-fits-all system, whether it's for all students or for all students and IEPs, and they've said, here you go. Until they know and they hear from you this is not working, they don't necessarily know it's not working. Now, should they be checking up on you and asking? Yes, but if they're not, this is your opportunity to reach out and say, we need an IEP because this is not working. And And we can establish, are there alternatives to this plan that was being offered? And I think it's really... You know, I understand that a lot of school districts are saying like, hey, here are my office hours. If you have any questions, I think that that approach is not working, especially if you're not getting any parents. It's very overwhelming. And I think that after a month, if nobody 
somebody's really coming to your office hours, you need to be proactive. And I don't mean to be judgy and I don't mean to tell you how to do your jobs because you are the professionals in this aspect. But what I'm seeing from my clients is that the times are not appropriate for them, right? They just can't find the time or they're just so overwhelmed. They don't know that they could just go and say, here are all my issues, right? Or if they've done that in the past, they were just like shrugged off. So, you know, we know that some schools are sending out surveys. Maybe that is a way to try to get people to, you know, I don't want, you know, school personnel to be like, well, I'm just not getting enough. Well, I get it. But like, maybe you need to be more proactive about reaching out to these parents. I think it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. And even like an IEP meeting serves the purpose of a brainstorming session. So if something's not working and the parent goes to a teacher's office hours, then it's just the parent and the teacher that it's just two brains, right? right? But if you have an IEP team where you have seven or eight different people, even four different people, you yeah. have more heads that you can put together to think outside the box, be creative and brainstorm. How can we solve this problem? And, and I think it allows that opportunity to have everyone be like, you know what? Maybe I've thought about something, you know, you may think of strategies as a speech therapist or as a counselor. The teachers are not the only ones that are part of the team, right? Right. It shouldn't be up to just the teacher to figure out, you know, you have your program specialists, you have your administrators, you have all these people as part of the team for a reason because it's a collaborative process. So this should be too. Right. I know that I had a client of mine ask this, an informal IEP that we had with his teachers and things like that over the phone and they just laughed. And it was kind of, you know, like... Well, of course not, you know, and it was just like, but my child can't access anything, you know, without anybody there. I'm still working like what, you know, it's not laughing matter. And CDE, you know, we were really surprised with this, but it is something where, you know, with the guidance of the state and physical distancing, you know, the goal is trying to keep, you know, everybody safe. They would be considered essential critical infrastructure workers. So there's like certain things that they would need to take into consideration, obviously, with protective wear and things like that. And I think that just even saying that to a parent and like, obviously, it's not going to work for each parent, but just like bringing that up as an option and then just saying like why your child may not in this particular instance be fit for that or say, yeah, maybe we can take a look and see how we can do that. But I think it's just so easy for so many to just say no or like we can't that a lot of parents are feeling defeated. They don't think that there's any point in just doing these packets for the next eight weeks. And so then the child is really a creek, you know, and that's not fair. That is not okay. And so, you know, when we say to have these IEP meetings, it's not just to have an IEP meeting to have an IEP meeting. There needs to be real collaboration and thought. And I think that it's worth, you know, going into and saying, look, I'm in a bad spot. This is how I'm feeling. You know, I don't know how else to articulate my feelings and let the IEP team know that because just like we've always told you, you know, emails and that paper trail and, you know, making your requests very well known. Now, you cannot be asking for the world during this time because the world is in complete chaos. But I think at least, you know, having them acknowledge or if even if they're dismissing you is important as an attorney speaking later on down when I file a complaint. Right. And that's not where we want to be. We don't want to be doing right. We want to be as collaborative as possible. Right. And going down that road, you know, we've talked about the students who are just not getting anything because they're having difficulty accessing for one of the reasons we just mentioned. There's also the students that are getting some instruction, but maybe it's not 
working as well as we'd like it to be. And I'm not talking about a student who's doing pretty well and parents want the best. I'm talking about the student who is, the student's able to be part of the Zoom meeting, but they leave the Zoom meeting and they haven't really learned anything. Like, what was the point of that hour other than it was almost like babysitting, right? So we're talking about the students who, you know, maybe we could be tweaking it a little bit. Those are also students where we should be doing IEPs for a couple of reasons. One, because again, we could brainstorm, we can think outside the box. Maybe parents can be provided with some tools, some tips about how to keep their child engaged during that Zoom lesson. Maybe they are going to be able to be provided with additional support. So like I've had, you know, these Zoom IEPs where we talked about, okay, these are the sessions the student is going to be participating with the gen ed teacher. This is the time the student's going to be participating with the RSP teacher. This is the time with the counselor, the speech therapist or whatnot. But then we can really talk about like, what is the purpose behind these sessions? And then what is the purpose behind the independent work? Like, and the parents have asked like, how much time should my student be spending on this independent work? I think that not only can we be flushing out some of these tweaks um, that maybe students need a little bit more support, we can be brainstorming, be innovative, but also we are making sure that everyone is on the same page so that the expectations are very clear as to where is the student right now? How are they doing with what they're being provided? Because for many of these students who are receiving some instruction, we may not know until August, September, maybe even October, November, how this is impacting them, right? Is this impacting them to the point where there's regression? Is it impacting them where they haven't made much progress? Or is there just trauma, trauma? anxiety? Because we, right, because when we talk about a student's unique needs and their circumstances, this COVID-19, this is a circumstance. And this is going to be a unique need that comes September, right? Whenever we talk about goals and everything, we always talk about baselines. Picture this IEP right now as your baseline. Because if we come back in August and September and you have an IEP then, and everyone's talking about where the student is then, how can we figure out how that's impacted their education if we don't know where we started, right? right? We may have a baseline from right before, maybe you had progress reports come out right before COVID-19, right before the school closure, something like that. But then there's essentially from March until we go back to school, August, September, that is a huge chunk of time. So I think it's important for teams to all be aware of how is the student doing academically, but also social emotionally. Like, how are they feeling about this? Are they completely withdrawing for older students? Are they really impacted? Is it causing trauma? Because that's going to be important for us to know and monitor. But then the other thing that I want to make note of, because I've noticed in my IEPs, is let's say you have 10 different people providing services to the student. You have a counselor, a speech therapist, an OT, an RSP teacher, a gen ed, a special ed, all these people, right? What I'm finding is that when distance learning started, all of these people reached out to the parents or maybe reached out through Google Classroom or whatnot, and they reached out and they said, this is what I'm going to provide. But they weren't talking to each other, mm-hmm. right? So the counselor didn't know when the RSP teachers their schedule. So they were scheduling them at the same time. 
So in some ways, having the IEP meeting allows all of the members to know what each other are doing because they can also help each other. Maybe they're doing activities that can be woven together and it's providing good overlap in generalization and skills. But then also we want to make sure that we're not causing access issues by having them at the same time. So I think getting, so even if this IEP meeting is 20 minutes, it's a 20 minute phone right. call just to kind of right. let sure everyone's on the same page and let mom or dad be able to say, this is what we're struggling with or this is what's working. It's going to put everyone on a better footing, not only for right now, but for when we get back to school, because then we know where we were and how far we've come. And I think that there is the minimum that the federal and state law provides for. And then I think there's best practices, you know, and I think that we're seeing that broad spectrum. And I hear that pod listener that's like, okay, Vicki and Amanda, my school team didn't care for me and didn't collaborate with me before. How the heck is it going to be any different now? I don't think that perspective in this worldwide pandemic has any use. I think that a lot of teams have been forgiving I think that this is going to be a time of grace and it may not, you know, and it may not. But I think that just like we've always told you, you've always fought with this school district. It's not going to be the same now. You keep that paper trail or just, you know, those emails, communications or on Dojo or wherever, you know, you kind of keep it writing. And, you know, Amanda and I are attorneys first. That's how we just it's just good practice to just have things in writing. We're not giving you legal advice. We're just attorneys talking about the changes in the impact that COVID-19 has had on our clients and what we see. And, you know, it's easy for us because we are not teachers that are having to deal with a plethora of other things. We would love to be able to talk to those teachers and kind of see, you know, and I think even at a broader level, you know, the directors of special education, it may be something that we're working on. It it may be a dream that we have, but I think that, you know, right now is not the time to lose hope. And you know what? If you're just surviving right now, that is okay too. You will have your observations to share with the team in September. If you're able to shoot off an email, a text message, something in the student portal off, Excellent. And if you're not, that is okay too. You know, if you need any help, we're here. If you need anything, you guys know you can email us at admin at iepcalifornia.org. Amanda and I are working remotely, even though our office is closed. It does not mean that we are not working and everyone is just trying to do their best. And we hope that this episode kind of, you know, filled in some of the questions that you may have had tossed or kind of squashed some of the rumors that you kind of heard anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. I've had anxiety this entire podcast because Blair just did not go down for her nap. And so Maury grabbed her and he's on a Zoom call. So I have to go. But Amina, we have something exciting that we're going to do this week that we're going to end on. Yes. Yes. So because we want to make sure that we answer all of your questions and You know, if this triggers some thoughts, whether you're a school personnel or a family member and you want to kind of get some more information about, you know, what do we do? We're going to be doing a Facebook and Instagram live event this Wednesday. So this pod releases on Tuesday, April 21st. So tomorrow, Wednesday, April 22nd at 6 p.m., we will be on Instagram and Facebook live doing a Q&A discuss all things distance learning. So please feel free to send us. If you can't participate at that time, you can send us a message with any questions you have. We'll be answering it 
and this will also be like on our actual like Facebook too afterwards. So if you want to watch it afterwards, that's what. Totally yeah. Cool. So we hope you tune in. Yeah, it's gonna be a quick to- session just because at night is when I can unwind. So and I'm sure Amanda feels the same way. So we're gonna keep it really quick. We'll have it posted again on our Facebook, and we'll see if we get it on our website too. But yeah, send over those questions, and uh, we look forward to talking to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.